God is good. God is good. All the time. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, Jim was sharing there about the needs in Genessa there. It was uh, it's what, what come to my heart, what come to my mind. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. <clears throat> Before we look at this chapter, I think it'd be good to do a, just a short background on the, on the book of Joshua that led up to this point. So if we can go back, just think a little bit back in Deuteronomy, we have Moses as the leader of the children of Israel. Very familiar story. Well, he, he died, and now Joshua is appointed by God to be the new leader. And things went well for him. It started out very good. If you kind of try to picture Joshua trying to fill the shoes of Moses, I think it would have been a large position to fill. But by the way things began, Joshua seemed to have leadership capabilities. So what did he do? He sends two men out to Jericho said, hey, go spy out the land. Well, the king of Jericho heard that these men came, so he sent his officers to get them to the house of Rahab. We heard the story. We studied that just a few weeks ago in our Sunday school lesson. Next, we have the miracle of the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River on dry ground. Chapter 4, they built that 12-stone memorial, uh, one stone for each tribe, uh, to serve as a reminder to their children of the power of the Lord as what he did there uh, in crossing the river. A little bit later, the manna, which they had been eating as they were journeying through the wilderness, that stopped appearing, and they began to eat the corn, which they found there in the new land. And then came the time for conquering the city of Jericho. And this is an exciting story, how the people went out, and for six days they marched around the city one time. Day one, day two, day, day seven comes along. They marched around seven times. They shouted. The city walls fell flat. They went in and conquered the city. Another sign of the power of God, an event that was completely impossible by human strength, but was not a problem at all for our all-powerful all God. So the city walls fell flat. The city was destroyed with the exception of Rahab and her house. And that brings us almost into chapter 7. But I want to read three verses in, um, in chapter 16. In chapter, chapter 6, I'm sorry. And that is verses, uh, some key verses here, verses 17, 18, and 19. Chapter 6, verse 17. And the city shall be accursed... Even it and all that is therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel curse and trouble it. But all the silver, Gold and the vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Accursed, devoted to destruction. And that is what the instructions were given to the soldiers. When you go out to take that city there, everything in that city is accursed except for Rahab, her house, silver and gold, and the vessels of brass and, uh, and iron. So clear instruction is given this is what's supposed to happen. Destroy the city of Jericho, except Rahab and her house and the vessels that I just mentioned. Then more instruction is given in verse 18. They say it goes something like this. Do not touch anything. Do not take anything. 
Simple. And then the punishment is given if the command is disobeyed. Disaster is going to fall upon the entire nation of Israel. Then the remainder of chapter 6 is we see the city of Jericho is destroyed. So now we're ready for Joshua 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerach, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. <clears throat> Who committed the sin? Achan. Verse 1 says, who committed the sin? The children of Israel. What's happening? David numbered, I mean, their children of Israel number one time. The number is huge. And here we have all this huge nation of Israel. And one man just took a few things. And what does it say? The children of Israel committed a trespass. The entire nation of Israel here, according to verse 1, is found guilty. This is exactly what the Lord said is going to happen. But what did happen? A trespass was committed. One man disobeyed. And then to make matters worse, the end of verse 1 says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Okay, let's just put that on, on, on pause just for a moment because life is going to continue in verse 2. Uh, Joshua is unaware of what has happened. No one, Achan didn't take this and go and tap Joshua on the shoulder and say, hey, guess what? Look what I did. No, Joshua's unaware of what happened. So Joshua, being the leader he was, he continued on with his mission. So he sends men to Ai. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Aven, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up, view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. Okay, life is continuing. Achan did that. That's hid there in the tent. We'll get back to that just shortly. So Joshua sends men out. They come back with a favorable report. Joshua, small city, few people. We can easily handle this battle. Remember, they just come off the battle of Jericho. We can take care of this one, Joshua. Just let, hey, how about just two or 3,000 go up? Let the rest stay back at camp and, and rest. They turn to Joshua, verse 3. Let all the people go up, let about two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai and make not all the people labor lither, for they are but a few. Verse 4. Stop for a second. The men that went up and they came back, they had something in common with Joshua. They had no idea what happened a few days earlier at the Battle of Jericho. And I, I read that thinking, they said, Joshua, let's send two or 3,000 and thinking, you know what, 1,000 might even be enough, but it just takes some extra. But verse 4 is a, a turning point for the confidence of the soldier. And verse 4 is a clear description of the result of sin within the camp. So there went up thither of the people, about 3,000. The men told Joshua to take two or three. Joshua went with a, with a higher number. And they fled before the men of Ai. And I know we're moving fast, and that's the plan here to be able to, to, uh, to get you out of here on time. But thus far, the book of Joshua has been exciting. Great things are happening. Defeat is unheard of. They never had defeat. Think about crossing the river. It was at, uh, the river was swollen. It was, it was deep and rushing. They went across. And I love the story because it says dry ground. My Bible says dry. And I believe that to the fullest extent. The Lord not only parted the waters, he dried it up and they marched right across. 
Think if we, all of us would go outside and walk around the church uh, seven times and shout. Would the walls fall down? No. What am I saying? God's in control here. And God said, do this, and if you do this, I'll take care of you. What has going on? What had happened here? A short time, uh, we talked about city of Jericho. And I hear the, we see the children of Israel, 3,000 men, running from the army of a small city. And the men of Ai smote of, of them, of the children of Israel, about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Cherubim and smote them into going down, whereof the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Verse 5, the situation gets even sadder, if we can say that. 36 men lost their lives. 36 families lost a, a, a family member. Were some of these fathers? How many children lost their fathers? How many wives become widows? How many people felt the pain? The answer to that question is the entire nation of Israel. One man sinned. It goes back to verse 1. And look what's happening. And look quickly what happened at the end of verse 5. The people, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Confidence was lost. Their bold demeanor disappeared. Fear entered their hearts as they faith, faced both death and defeat. Now just think about it for a minute. Most or almost all the promises in the Bible that we have, we were singing this morning, standing on the promises, and we do. Amen. Praise the Lord. But most of them are given with consequences or with, with they are there if we respond in a certain way. The Lord says, I will do thus and thus if my children do thus. Spiritual victory is not attained through a spiritual welfare system where, all is, where we are given all with no strings attached. We do not sit back on our chairs and say, I'm living spiritually if we don't do something on our own. Our spiritual victory comes through personal sacrifices and obedience to the word of God. And that's, what we, that's the problem that we see here in Joshua. When we get to the end of verse 5, I'm confident that there was one man who knew what was going on. This man was well aware of what was happening. But verse 6 does not say he came running forward with tears of repentance. A few questions. Was Achan one of the 3,000 men that went up to Ai? I don't have the answers for some of these. We're not told that. But we do know he was not one of the 36 that were killed. But what happened? His sin removed the confidence from the hearts of the entire nation, which is a consequence of disobedience. So we're back. Let's go back to verse 6 and here back to Joshua. And he's still unaware of the sin of Achan. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell on the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust upon their heads. Okay? He rent his clothes and fell on his face, and they put dust upon the heads. This is all as a response to, uh, to circumstances, what had happened, the death of the 36 men, and this, the idea of defeat. This was their way of mourning. And I think we can understand verse 6 as, as a reaction of the grief that they were experiencing. And if, I had, if I'd asked you to raise your hand, I think you would all agree that Joshua was a good leader. Right? I, I think he was. If you, if you read through the book, he's, he was a good leader. I also think he was possibly at a place where he was not sure what to do. This never happened before. 
And now what's he supposed to do? So his response in verse 6, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. However, it appears in verses 7, 8, and 9, it appears like he starts blaming God for the lost battle there at Ai. And Joshua said, At last, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites and to destroy us? Would to God we would be content to dwell on the other side of Jordan? O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns their back to their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And listen to this. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? So he's saying, Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River? Oh, did you bring us here so our enemies could destroy us? And by the way, what was wrong with just us just living on the other side of the Jordan? And then what am I going to do when all the people continue to turn their backs and run from their enemies? And then, Lord, what's going to happen to your great name? When the rest of the nations that we still have to conquer hear about what happened back here at Ai. And I think these, verse, these verses show the despairing side of Joshua. And I believe it was the exception and not the norm. But you get to the end of verse 9, and Joshua's done asking questions. And then the Lord starts speaking. Verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou? Upon thy face. Why are you lying here upon your face? I think he asked a question before he gets right to the point. Verse 11, Israel hath sinned. The Lord didn't tell, jo didn't tell Joshua, it was Achan who had done the wrong. And here again, we see that the entire nation is accused. Right from the, words of the, uh, from the lips of the Lord that Israel has sinned, they have transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing they also have stolen and disembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Get up. Israel sinned. Israel disobeyed my commandment. They did exactly what I told them not to do. They have taken items that were, remember, devoted to destruction, and they have stolen. They have disembled, or they were deceptive, and they put it among their stuff. We know the story. Verse 12 uh, Clear instructions. Now, before we read that, these words are harsh, these words are firm, but these words are absolute truth. And follow carefully in verse 12. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but they turned their backs before their enemies. We could, can we add why? Because they were accursed. And I like to say it gets a little worse in the last couple set, last sentence here. Listen to this. Neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroyed the cursed thing from among you. Because of the sin that's in the camp, these 36 men lost their lives. Sin in the camp is the reason the children of Israel could not stand against the army of Ai. They were accursed. There that word comes up again. They were doomed even before they left the camp of Israel to go up to Ai. And the Lord lays down the facts. And it's very hard. I will no longer be with you except. Now he gives, he gives some. Uh, the reason for the, the reason they lost their battle. And gives them what they need to do for him to come back. At, at this point the people, the people were in trouble. The Lord had removed his power or his presence from them, and they were on their own unless. And the very thought of continuing to fight battles without the Lord was an idea that 
they all knew would be impossible. So what's the Lord saying? In my words, he's saying, I will not be with you anymore unless you take care of the root problem. And that's the title of the message this morning, The Root Problem. I got a short story, and uh, this one here is also about insects. And my son said, Dad, they're gonna, soon the people at church are going to think you don't like insects anymore. And that's not the case. I, I like insects. It's, I don't prefer if they make the home at my house. They can go live. The Project 70 is right by my house. They have acres they can go live at. But this one here is about bees. A few weeks ago, we noticed a number of bees. They were, they'd fly uh, around the porch ceiling. Then they would land on the brick and they would crawl up behind the soffit trim. Uh, the motor joints in the brick were, had a little bit of opening, and they would crawl up in there behind the soffit. So, well, nobody likes bees flying around your house, you know, as a man, protect your family, right? So I'd spray these bees, but what I could see was just the ones landing on the brick and then climbing up, and they just keep on coming, I'd spray, and I'd spray, and I'm thinking, uh, sooner or later they're gonna get tired of this. But what we did, we had like two cans of bee spray on hand, so we used them up. My dear wife went and bought four more. They soon were empty. A little while later, Leon went and bought two more, and they soon were empty. Guess what? The bees kept coming. And by this time, our porch floor was just littered with, littered with dead bees. So Saturday a week ago, I decided, okay, it's time to get to the root of this bee problem. What's going on? Um, and the only way to, to see what was happening was to remove a piece of soffit or two, so I could see up in there what was going on. And uh, that was all good, but it required working on the stepladder up there with the bees. But, so I realized, well, getting to this root problem was not going to be easy, and it was also a chore that I was not necessarily excited about. Plus, all along I realized that this could get ugly. And I got the ladder, got the proper tools, and for some reason, it took a while to, uh, to, for the soft to come apart. I didn't know why. It did not. I thought it came apart quite easily, but it did not. And after a few tries, one of the bees decided my thumb would be a good place to inject the stinger. At this point, I probably should have just left it go and ran off. But instead, what happened, I became determined. That wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> I was going to get this soffit open, and I was going to get to the root problem. So after a while, uh, I was able to remove a piece of the soffit, and what I saw inside my soffit was a huge nest. And no, there were bees, so I did not get my tape measure out. I'm fairly good at guessing. Um, my guess is it's underneath, uh, there, up top of the ceiling is, is a, or balcony floor so they had room but I'm guessing this nest was 20 to 24 inches wide long it was 10 to 12 inches wide and 6 to 8 inches high so if you can picture size of a small carry-on this is what was stuck up in there and these bees were coming in and climbing up through and they had it was it was heyday up there because no one could touch them and the spray of course did not reach them so now with it with it being open instead of, of spraying just close to the nest I was able to spray on the nest and uh, attack the root problem and by, by doing that. And my plan was, when I first seen it, I told my family, hey, somehow, at that point, I didn't know how this is all going to pan out, but I said, I'm going to take that nest down and bring it along. 
uh, rest assured it's not here, because I started jabbing at it, and of course you know what came out, what was inside, so I had to run. Eventually I started just tearing it down piece by piece. And then I would tear it down a couple pieces and then uh, keep on spraying it. Sections came down. I was attacking the root problem, which was the bees inside the nest. And Wednesday night, uh, I finally removed the remainder of the nest. And we'll come back to that after a while. So Joshua and the elders of Israel did what they could at the time. Back here in verse 6. They rent their clothes. They fell on the ground. But the Lord said, no. He said, get up and take care of the root problem. So clear instruction is given in verses 14, 13, 14, and 15. This is the Lord speaking. Up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. It shall be the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And verse 15 is a, is, is a sad story. It shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought, wrought folly, in Israel. Clear instruction. Sanctify the people. Purify them. When? In the morning. Tomorrow morning. Immediately. This was not a time for procrastination. This issue demanded immediate attention. Bring the families in by tribes. <coughs> Twelve tribes. The Lord's going to choose. Then bring the families in, uh, the, the chosen tribe in by their families. Again, the Lord's going to choose who it is. Bring them in by household. The Lord's going to take care of that. And then man by man, and the Lord will, take, will choose. And the punishment there we saw in verse 15. And the reason. Why? Because he has wrought folly in Israel. And this has, has to have been a low time for the nation. And a hard time for, for Joshua and the elders. But what we need to get a hold of here is the, uh, some facts. Sin needed to be dealt with. And this was not a time to spray at the close to the nest like I was doing for a while, but it was a time to deal with the root problem. Moving along, Joshua's obedient. Early in the morning, he gets the process going. The tribes came in. Judah was taken. Next, the families came in. The Zarites were taken. Then by households, Zabdi's house was taken. Then man by man, they came right back to Achan. Verse 19, Joshua said, Achan, what have you done? Tell me and hide it not from me. For sake of time, the consequences were death, and they are written for us in, in verses 22 through 26. Achan told, said what he had done. They sent men to the tent. They found it, brought it back, and Achan and his family were stoned. One man took something that he knew was not allowed, and 36 men plus an entire family lost their lives. So I asked this morning, what can we learn? Disobedience is sin. That's elementary. Selfishness will lead to self-destruction. When all one can, uh, 
can talk about or think about is me and myself. Trouble is right around the corner. Number three, sin will affect the lives of others. And sometimes this one's hard to get a hold of. But unconfessed sin in my life will affect my entire family. And you're saying, are you sure? Well, look, look at Aiken. Unconfessed sin in my life will affect my entire family. And I think sometimes people fool themselves if they think that sin will affect us only. Disobedience brings ruin even upon the innocent. And after church, if you ask me, Liam, why did God allow them 36 men to die because of one man's sin? I cannot answer that question. What I will tell you is sin's effects go beyond the initial sinner. And sometimes that's hard to get a hold of as well. How to wonder how these 36 families felt about Achan afterwards. Well, they were probably with those in number in verse 26 that raised a great heap of stones over him unto this day. The story of Achan is not a rare exception. Sin will cause a ripple effect in the lives of others. And that's why I read verse in chapter 6 and verses it says, Keep yourselves from the cursed thing. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. Proverbs 15, 27. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts, gifts shall live. The, the point there is that a greedy person will trouble their whole house. The next point was, what about 36 men that die plus an entire family because of Achan's sin? I kind of covered that a little bit earlier. But the whole nation... The nation of Israel was in a covenant relationship with God as a nation. But, and one member transgressed that covenant, and the entire nation's relationship with God was damaged. And we could bring that into church membership and, and us here as a body of believers. Achan's sin defiled the other members of the community as well as himself. And a similar situation which we... No, can read about in Genesis, seen Adam and Eve and the effect that their sin had on the whole world. Adam and Eve rebelled, rebellion, they destroyed the perfect communion the human race would have had with God. Then back to Achan, think about him a little bit. The silver and gold that he stole, he actually was he took that from God himself because God said, that's going to come into my house. And the precious metals were to be added to the treasure of the Lord and stealing them Achan robbed God directly. But it all comes back to one little word, and that is obedience, or in this case, disobedience. Is God a harsh God? No. But what God says, he, he expects us to, to listen to. Achan's disobedience was an insult to God's holiness and his right to command his people in the manner he sees fit. One place it said, God gave Achan a night to consider his sin and come to repentance. That's back in Joshua, in the chapter, we're in verse 7, chapter 7, verse 13. The Lord said, tomorrow come and do that. And someone said that God was giving Achan a chance to, to repent. But Achan did not avail himself to the mercy of God. What happened was the gold and, the gold and silver that Achan coveted had a stronger pull on his allegiance. I'm going to back up my notes just a little bit and 
I, I missed something I want to point out. Achan said, I sinned, disobedience. Achan said, I saw. He stopped and took the second look. Achan said, I coveted. He thought of no one but himself. Achan said, I took he, with no regard for others. And Achan said, I hid. And he buried in his tent to, for his gain at a later time. What else did this sin do? I'm going to go back to verse 12. I know I read that and had you think about that as I was reading. The people turned their backs on the army of Ai. But God turned his back on their people. What did Achan's sin do? Achan's sin removed the commander-in-chief at the battle of Ai, which was God himself. And God said, and it is so sad, if you don't take care of the root problem, I will not be with you anymore. So I ask another question, what does that mean for us or look like for us here on October 6th of 2019? Earlier I mentioned that spiritual victory is not attained through a spiritual welfare system where we are given victory without any requirements on our part. That's not how we find that. Our spiritual victory comes through personal sacrifices and complete obedience to the Word of God. One place in my study said Aiken's family may have been in part in helping him bury the loot. And I stopped for a little bit, and as you look at the Bible, and I'll say this, that's not something that I can prove. I'm not, don't plan to go there. I like to say it is possible that Aiken was in this scheme alone, and no one other than God knew what he did. That's kind of how I read it. You can correct me later. And maybe that's where someone is at this morning. There's hidden hint, is hidden sin. It was buried in the tent maybe just this morning. Maybe it was buried yesterday or a week ago, a year ago, or 20 years ago, and it was covered over, and today no one knows. And though we may think it's buried, the fact is it's lying in complete open sight in God's eyes because we can hide nothing. Achan, he buried that. No one knew. Oh, yes, God knew. Today, God does not require stoning. God is not saying physical death is a penalty. God's asking, he's saying, repentance. If you desire victorious Christian living. A person who is truly repentant will be willing to go directly to the root problem We'll build confession there and repentance and reconciliation. It starts back at the root problem and it goes from there. And dealing with the root problem is the only way for one to experience spiritual victory. And as it is or was in the story of Achan many years ago, and so it is today, God cannot bless the man nor his family who has transgressed his commandments. Remember we just looked just a few, a little bit back here, how sin's going to go beyond the initial sinner and affect a large amount of people. And here, here we've seen that. But God cannot bless the man nor his family who has transgressed his commandments. Is there sin in the camp? And as, as Joshua asked Achan in verse uh, in verse 19, I should, I should read that. And Josh said unto Achan, My son, 
give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. In verse 20 and 21, Achan does come clean and says what he done. And I had to wonder how different the life of Achan and his family would have been had Achan been a man of integrity. But then, as I was thinking about that, understand that this story was written, why? For our benefit, so that you and I, we can learn from it. Proverbs 20, verse 7, the just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. And sometimes we can't see the entire picture, so to speak. So men, when you're tempted to, to uh, jeopardize your integrity, think about that verse. Your children are blessed after him. And it may, it may not be that your family's going to be blessed five minutes later. It could be years. But the Bible is the word of God, and it's the truth. And we have yet to find anything in it that is not the truth. A just man will walk in his integrity. His family will be blessed after him. And maybe you're here this morning, that's exactly how you're feeling. And praise the Lord. Achan made a huge mistake. Sometimes we may be tempted to think, well, since no one saw what I did and no one knows about the sin, I don't have to do anything about it. But then we look here in this Old Testament account and we're reminded that God knows everything. There's nothing that, that I did 40 plus years ago that God doesn't know. And then also remind that he will bless those who follow his commands. And the anger of the Lord is kindled against those who, disobeyed his, who disobey his commands, which happened right there. The children of Israel took and the anger of the Lord was kindled. Could you imagine? And look what happened. I repeat, 36 men and Achan's entire family, gone. Why? Silver and gold. Back to the bees real quickly in closing. I could have sprayed under the nest at, and the bees would have kept climbing up the wall for months. But it would have continued going until I was ready to deal with the root problem. But now the bees are gone and the soffit's back up in place. There's no need to keep spraying. Everything's cleaned up as of yesterday. I took an a, a dry, empty drywall compound bucket and if you look at them, the new ones are four and a half gallon, not five anymore. And if you take a four and a half gallon bucket, I did, and I put the handle up, so the handle goes like that, you know what I mean? I stuffed that nest in that bucket and it filled up up to the handle. So if you say my, my little big this, maybe I was exaggerating, it filled up and I stuffed it in a little bit and it filled up that high, not to mention, not to mention the stench. But that big problem would not have ever gone away if I would have ignored it. And so it is with our lives. We can't ignore the sin problem. We need to deal with the root problem. On a brighter note, real quickly here, the story does not end with chapter 7. Chapter 8, look at verses 1 and 2. I need to start at chapter 7, 26. They raised up over him a great heap of stones unto this day, period. Here it is. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. That's a good point. Verse 8, and the Lord said unto Joshua, and after what happened, just again, picture what uh, Joshua here. The Lord said, fear not. 
Neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people war with thee. Arise, go unto Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And thou shalt do unto Ai and to her king as thou did unto Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof you shall take for a prey unto yourselves. Excuse me. Fear not, neither be, neither, neither be dismayed. Arise, go up, I have given you the land. And then, as I just read there, the Lord says, oh, you can take a spoil of this city now after all. Why? And I have. Why could they take a spoil from the city of Ai, but the city of, Jer- of uh, Jericho? I got one word. And that's obedience. There's some things I don't understand. God said, Jericho is cursed. That city is doomed to destruction. Don't touch, don't take. If you disobey, thus will happen exactly what happened. Now he says, Ai here, hey, go ahead, I'm, I'll give you this lamb. You'll do as you did to the king of Ai, like you did to the king of Jericho. Oh, and uh, the spoil, now the spoil, am I, if I'm not mistaken, whatever you find, the gold, jewelry, silver, and the cattle, you can take that. Take it back to your own places and, and enjoy. Why one seed, not the other? The Lord has the commands for you and I. We need to obey. It just comes down to obedience. The Lord be with you and bless you as you take care of root problems, if there's root problems, and press on living in spiritual victory. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. Just thank you for this account, the story of Achan. And as we see disobedience is sin and how you handle it, with punishment. We also see how obedience is a blessing. Help us all, Lord, to be men, women, families of integrity. And thank you for the promises which we will stand upon in your word, recognizing that we need to do our part and you will do yours. Help us, Lord, to be the people like that. Help us to be bold for you, Lord, and just to press on living obedient lives and experiencing victory. We want to thank you for what you have done for us and give you honor and glory. Amen. Logan, can you have a song, please?